0: ever been a young child or a teenager you've likely witnessed this scenario or at the very least something similar. Mom please can I have egg boots for Christmas? Everybody's wearing them please mom please. Does that sound familiar? I remember making a similar plea to my own mother. Growing up in a very small town there wasn't much going on so the school disco was a really big deal We'd look forward to it for weeks and there was always a lot of discussion in our friend group around what was in fashion, what was out and what we would wear as a group. Well, at that time, what was in fashion were gentle folk jeans and oh boy, were they expensive. My friend had several pairs bought from Burton's the in store in our town. And the jeans were the in thing in our friend group. I had to have a pair. And finally just in time for the disco I had enough money to buy a pair of the coveted jeans. They were dark wash, high-waisted with intricately decorated back pockets and the fancier the pocket decoration the more desirable the jeans and the more expensive of course. I felt so cool but what I remember most about them is the bell bottoms they were so wide that they would flap around your ankles and since it was the fashion to wear them touching the floor over your platform shoes and since it was always raining in Wales they would soak up the rain as they dragged along the ground by the time we got to the disco the bottom half of our jeans was wet up to the knee hard, like wet cardboard. Ridiculous? Yes, but hey, we were in, so a little discomfort didn't matter. You might be wondering what does that have to do with our today's sermon, because we're in the middle of a series on the book of Galatians. Well, while there's no mention of genes, there is a group of people telling the Galatian believers, hey, you need to act and look a certain way If you're going to be included in the group. These false teachers had come into the church and were in effect teaching a different gospel. In other words, in addition to having faith in Christ, you also need to observe Jewish traditions. And taken in by their arguments, the Galatians were questioning Paul's authority and his teaching. Paul is very concerned, and rightly so, His letter to the Galatians begins with zeal as he defends both his apostleship and the gospel he has preached. And in chapter three, he gives full vent to his frustration saying, who has bewitched you? Have you taken leave of your senses? And then reminding them of the truth of the gospel, which is that in Christ Jesus, we are all children of God through faith. Or all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ like putting on new clothes is how the New Living Translation puts it. In other words, by faith in Christ we are clothed in everything that we need to be included in the group. We are fully dressed, no expensive jeans or extra traditions needed. He has provided us with a wardrobe that never goes out of fashion and Paul is writing to remind the Galatians of that truth. This week we pick it up in chapter 4 verse 8. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that don't even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my work with you was for nothing. From the opening lines of this letter, Paul has been methodically and systematically laying out his theological arguments in true Pauline style with laser-like precision. But notice the change of tone here. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Let's read on. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you didn't treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? The change of tone is dramatic as Paul puts theology aside for a moment and reveals his deep emotions. His appeal to them here is based on relationship on friendship and on family ties. He's reminding them, hey, you loved me then, despite my sickness and even though I was a trial to you, you would have done anything for me. Remember how it was between us? You received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. You see, the Galatians had eaten up God's word from Saul at the start, they loved it. And what's more, they were right to receive Paul that way. Because as an apostle, he was representing Jesus as his personal delegate and therefore he spoke with his authority. But when that involved telling the Galatians some painful home truth, they didn't like it. And Paul asks them, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? I can't believe that. He continues, they make much of you for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you. And here is the nub of the issue. NT Wright points out that the real reason for the break or the potential break in their relationship has been the other people who have come in. They want to shut the Galatians out. They want to set up a two level fellowship an outer circle for Gentile Christians, and an inner circle for Jewish Christians. That way they can present themselves to their Jewish friends or family as proper law abiding Jews. And they will then compel the Galatians to come cap in hand to seek circumcision as the price of admission to their inner circle. But Paul knows that there can be no outer circle and inner circle within the grace of God. You see, by faith in Christ, we are all included. There can be no inner circles where some people are valued more than others. And Paul was willing to preach that truth, even if it made him unpopular. We need truth-tellers in our lives. Those who not only know the truth, but who are willing to speak the truth, even if it offends us. Proverbs 27.6 tells us that faithful are the wounds of a friend who corrects out of love and concern. And while truth may hurt our feelings for a moment, when spoken with love, it doesn't harm us in the long run because ultimately we know that those who truly love us have our best interests at heart. It reminds me of the time when I was shopping for a dress for an important business event. I was finding it hard to choose, so I took three dresses home with the goal of returning two and keeping one. And my good friend came over to give her opinion. As I modeled what was my favorite dress of the three, she took one look at it and shook her head saying, "'That dress looks great on the hanger, "'but it kind of makes you look like a stuffed sausage.'" Ouch. (laughs) but a true friend. She wanted me to feel good and look my best. Now, clothes are one thing, but what about more important things like our attitudes or our actions? I remember in the early days of being a Christian, I found things difficult because everyone around me seemed so good and I was still struggling with some bad behaviors. But when I was baptized in the spirit, all of that changed as he began to change me and I was overjoyed. But I developed a bad attitude towards the leaders in my previous church that I had been part of because they didn't believe in baptism in the Holy Spirit and I felt let down because they hadn't equipped me in the truth. And I made my feelings known to some fellow students. Well, one Sunday at the end of the service in my new church, the previous leaders were waiting outside and they asked to speak to me. They gently and very lovingly confronted me about my gossip and my arrogant attitude. They assured me that they loved me, that they wanted God's best for me and they prayed God's blessing over me. Ouch, I was so humbled by their genuine love and care and horrified that I'd so quickly forgotten how they'd labored to teach me scripture, the meals with their family, the retreats and the fun. I apologized and asked for their forgiveness. Faithful are the wounds of a friend who corrects out of love and concern. The second half of that verse in Proverbs says this, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful because they serve his hidden agenda. And indeed, Tim Keller points out that verse 17, which talks about the false teachers, more accurately translates as, they are flattering and making much of you, so that you will flatter and make much of them. The message puts it very sharply. Those heretical teachers go to great lengths to flatter you, but their motives are rotten. They want to shut you out of the free world of God's grace so that you will always depend on them for approval and direction, making them feel important. Ooh, that makes me feel very uncomfortable because underpinning that kind of leadership there is often a subtle message of manipulation and control based on unspoken rules and hidden expectations. In other words, I'm happy with you while you're making me happy and feeding my ego by doing things my way. But if you break the rules or you don't meet my expectations, then I'll shut you out. I mean it's all conducted very pleasantly and in friendly tones but it ultimately makes the disciple dependent on the leader in an unhealthy partnership. I am so glad that our church isn't like that. You know, that's why we place such a high value on team leadership so that no one person has control over others. But this applies to all of us not just leaders. You see when we put pressure on people to do certain things and behave in particular ways in order to be accepted, it always leads to them needing to buy the jeans in order to fit in. And it inevitably causes an us and them scenario. It also leads to pride and self-righteousness, giving a sense of being part of the in crowd, stroking our ego and making us just feel so good. That ultimately creates a sense of superiority that sends the message, I am better than you. And while that might be great at the start watch out for those bell-bottom jeans because along the journey they will become waterlogged and dog your every step hindering your walk by faith in christ we are all part of the in crowd not because of what we do but because of what he did praise god paul makes the point in verse 18 that it is good to be made much of as long as it's for a good purpose but the false teachers were not sincere in their caring for the Galatians, unlike Paul, whose motivation was totally different. Let's take a look at the final section of our passage for today. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. What is Paul's motivation? His goal is to see Christ formed in the Galatians. Paul compares himself to a woman in labor. He's perplexed and in anguish as if he's giving birth again, which of course is impossible. But this isn't meant as a science lesson, it's an expression of how he agonizes over them because of his love and his commitment to seeing Christ formed in them. You don't have to be a parent to feel that way. I recently met my new great nephew and as I looked at that scrumptious little face, I prayed over his life and his future. And I'll keep on praying for him because of my love. I want to see him fulfill his potential. And don't we feel like that about our spiritual family too? we love them deeply and there are times when we agonize in prayer over those we love seeking to walk alongside them and appealing to them to follow jesus you know in this passage we can sense paul's desire to be with the galatians to speak to them face to face so that they can read his body language and hear his tone so that he can squeeze a shoulder to show how much he cares and express his deep feelings but he can't visit at this point, so he's resorted to personally writing this letter. He knows it's maybe a poor substitute for face-to-face conversation. It usually is. But so urgent is his desire to defend the Gospel and their freedom in Christ that he is willing to risk being misunderstood by putting his concerns for them in writing. Paul has painted a stark contrast between the false teachers and himself. it ultimately comes down to a difference in motivation the false teachers were operating according to the rules paul was operating based on relationship the false teachers wanted the galatians to depend on them paul wanted them to depend on god the false teachers wanted the galatians to conform paul wanted to see christ formed in them the false teachers were looking for their own glory while Paul was looking to see Christ get the glory. What motivates you? We need to be motivated by love for the person, genuine love, rather than self-interest or making ourselves look important. Going back to my baptism in the spirit story for a moment. Baptism in the spirit is a very important truth. But it isn't something that we wear as a badge of superiority as I did. By God's grace, I had truth, but I lacked love. Now, please don't misunderstand me. We do need truth, but as John Stott said, we can't be all head and no heart. But neither can we be all heart and no head because we need truth and love. You may have heard the saying, people don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And I know that for me personally, that is so true. It's so much easier to receive instruction or correction from someone who I know loves me and has my best interests at heart. But if there's no relationship, I'm much more wary because I'm wondering if they have a hidden agenda. I'm likely to give it mental assent, but my heart is actually closed. So alongside clear teaching and theology, we must build relationships and demonstrate love in the hopes that those for whom we care will listen and benefit from the truth of what we say. Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't both. And it is possible to speak truth without love, but you will risk losing the relationship. If I had to choose, I would rather lose the argument and win the person because the argument will always be there and come around again and I might get another chance. But if I've lost the person, I've already lost the argument. NG Wright again comments that theological argument is important, but unless it takes place within the context where people are bonded together in mutual trust and shared Christian experience, it will only reach the head not the heart, and probably not the will. And that is why it's so important to be part of a church family where we're in a loving community with brothers and sisters, mothers and father figures who we trust. People who know us and love us enough to tell us the truth because their goal is to see Christ formed in us, to see us become more like Jesus. We may not all be teachers or leaders, but we can all be ministers of the gospel to our fellow believers, because we all have a part to play in seeing Christ formed in each other, from the oldest to the youngest. What does that look like then? Well, it's not rocket science. It's showing up and doing the simple stuff with genuine love. Things like spending time getting to know people, Looking for opportunities to bless others and watching out for each other. Praying for your brothers and sisters. Showing up on Sundays to worship and to break bread together. Being part of a community group where you encourage and disciple one another and really get to know each other. And yes, where there is relationship, when necessary, speaking the truth in love so that Christ is formed in each one of us for the glory of God.